your Bibles, Matthew chapter 10 is where we're going to be going. Matthew chapter 10. Now, we started a series called Average, and the question that we're asking is, what can God do with average people? What can God do? Can God actually use average people for his cause? Can God use average people to do extraordinary things? The answer is yes. And as we look at Matthew chapter 10, we're introduced to the disciples, the apostles, the twelve that follow Jesus. And as we look at them, what we find is that they were truly average, ordinary men that God used in extraordinary ways. It is easy very quickly to start thinking about the apostles and you begin to think, oh, they're not like me. They were super Christians and they're massive monuments, the cathedrals all around. It's, it's easy to think that they're not like you, not like me, just above and beyond. And what we want to see and what we want to look at is how that they are really common, ordinary men, in which God began to move, in which Jesus mentored and trained, developed, so that they could do above and beyond, and they were willing to be molded. Today, we're talking about Peter. What a great, great man. What a funny man. Matter of fact, there's more written about Peter than any other apostle. His name is mentioned more than any other name in the Gospels. Peter. Peter is one of these guys that helps us address this question. Within leadership, there's a question, are leaders born or are they made? Over and over again throughout the business world, as you read on leadership, that's the question. Are they born or are they made? And yes, Peter has the raw, some raw material that helped make him a great leader. Let me give you some examples of Peter as a raw leader. Personality, here's his personality, ready? He asked questions. He asked a lot of questions. Matter of fact, he asked more questions than all the other disciples combined. It's a lot of questions, isn't it? He's inquisitive by nature. He wants to know. He wants to understand. He just asks questions. It could be dumb questions. It doesn't really matter, but it's questions. He's asking questions. Next, Peter acts fast. Always acting fast. Most of the time, he's thinking afterwards going, I don't know if that was really such a good decision. He acts fast. He jumps out of the boat, says, I'm going to walk on water just like Jesus because he's telling me I can come out here. He jumps out of the boat, acting fast, and all the other disciples are going, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. Peter gets out in the middle of the water, and what's he do? Oh, this is kind of weird. And he begins to look around and begins to, oh, no, what have I done? Where am I? He acts fast, and then he thinks about it later. Now, it can be good. It can be not so good. At least Peter got out of the boat, right? So at least he got to do some things that maybe some of the other disciples wouldn't have done, but he acts fast and he thinks later. Here's another one of his personality traits. He's all or nothing. And this guy is all in. Or either there's nothing at all. Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And what does Peter say to Jesus? "Uh Uh-uh, Jesus, don't wash my feet. You're not going to wash my feet at all. And Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet then you're not gonna have a part with me. And what's Peter do? Okay, wash all of me then. He's either all or nothing. There's no in between for Peter. Either it's all good, it's all bad. It's all full, 100%, full throttle. The guy never knows how to slow down. Next, action. This kind of goes right along with it, but Peter loved being right in the middle of the action. If there was controversy, where was Peter? Right in the middle. If, if Jesus was going to heal, where was Peter? Right next to Peter, or right next to Jesus. He was right in the middle. He could not 
Be away from the action. That's why you see his name in every instance. You see his name over and over again throughout the Gospels because Peter wanted to be right in the middle. Have you ever had a child like that? Yeah? They just, they can't go to sleep even while you're driving because why? They're afraid they're gonna miss out on something. Or maybe they wake up extremely early because they're just afraid they're gonna miss out on something. This is Peter. He's all in, he can't miss out. And if there's somebody arguing about something, where's Peter? Right in the mix. He wants to be in the middle. Wherever the action is, that's Peter. Next. Um, he's also a little bit arrogant, which is somewhat natural for a, um, a strong personality type. He's a little bit arrogant. He, he's so arrogant, you ready for this? That no one else is as re- rebuked by Jesus as much as Peter. Wouldn't that be a great title? Who got in the most trouble? Peter. There's not even a question. He, he is the guy who consistently was making a statement. He thought he was right on every occasion. Not only did he think he was right, he thought he had the best plan. He even told Jesus how to run things on several different occasions. This is Jesus. It's so funny. So here's Peter. He has some raw, just natural gifting that automatically drives him to be out front, a leader. When we first introduced to Peter, his name is Simon. As a matter of fact, Simon was a very common name. Simon is a name in which even another one of the 12 is also named Simon. Simon the Zealot. Zealot. So here he is, Simon. Jesus meets him, and immediately Jesus says something very intriguing. Your name's Simon, but your name's going to become Peter. And from this moment forth, his name's Peter. He gives him a new name. You're going to be a rock. You're going to be a pillar. You're going to be steady. You're going to be the one that great things happen. Your name's a rock. Now, in our day and age, we, we do this quite often, don't we? we? We maybe rename something so it gives it a new vision, a new purpose, and that's what Jesus does. He renames Peter to have a new vision of what his life could be. You are Simon, a little stone, a little pebble, one who, who moves and back and forth with all the emotion. But you're gonna become strong. You're gonna become steady. You're gonna become a rock, a pillar on which the church is going to be built. You are the rock. You are a rock, not the, the rock. Jesus is the rock. Tommy Lasorda, when he was the, the baseball manager for the LA Dodgers, there was a young pitcher in the minor leagues. He was tall, slender, skinny kid, but man, he could throw the ball. And throwing the ball, many times he would become shy and he would even become, he would lack maybe a competitive edge is what Tommy Lasorda said about him. In trying to groom him and trying to build him up, he says, your name's gonna be Bulldog. Called him Bulldog, 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 over and over again. By the end of his career, Oral Hershiser was one of the premier top competitors known for his ice-cold pitching when he got to the mound. Bulldog. Jesus looks at Peter. He says, you will be this. You're not there, but you will be Peter. Isn't that incredible? Now, here we go. If you have your Bibles, I'm gonna ask that you stand with me. We're gonna read Matthew chapter 10 as we get started here. Matthew chapter 10, and we're gonna begin looking at what Peter is. Now, 
Jesus says, and Matthew writes, and he called to him 12 disciples, gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we look into your word, God, I pray that you would bless. God, I thank you so much for how you've moved already and how you've spoken to our hearts through the songs, through the specials, through even the testimonies that we've heard. And God, now as we look into your word, I pray that you'd reach down, you would move, and I pray your spirit would have freedom. God, I pray that you'd speak to us where we need to hear it. Give us the ears to hear, the courage to apply so that we walk out of here a different people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. So Matthew tells us that Jesus calls to him 12 disciples. This is very important because it's, 12 in the Old Testament, 12 to the Jews would have been very symbolic. It was the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jesus calling out 12 saying, now we're going to go into a new format of ministry. No longer is it just going to be Jesus doing the ministry. Jesus is calling 12 out and it says that he gives them power. He gives them authority. They are now going to be sent out ones. They're going to be doing the work of ministry alongside Jesus. Jesus is multiplying his leadership. Jesus is expanding his kingdom effort. He's enlisted several men who had been longtime learners. They had been learners over the last year. At this point in Jesus's ministry, he's now some two years. He's just under two years from the cross. And he's called out men who have been learning. They've been following Jesus, their disciples. And now he says, it's time for you to stop just sitting around and learning. It's time for you to get in the game. It's time for you to get into the action. And he calls them out and he says, I'm going to give you authority to not only be a part of the ministry, but to actually do the ministry. What an incredible gift that Jesus not only calls people to ministry, that Jesus not only calls you to a job to actually stand at the doors and greet, that Jesus calls you to actually teach a Sunday school class or a home group, that Jesus not only calls you, but then he gives you the power to do it. Isn't that amazing? He gives them the authority. And then we come to the first of the names. First, Simon, who is called Peter. Out of all four lists of the disciples, out of all four lists of the apostles, there's one name that consistently is number one who comes first, and who is that? Peter. He is the front runner. He is the one in which all others look to. Peter. Here's what I would like to do today. If you like leadership, then this is really a a quest for looking at how Peter changes in his leadership, in his strong personality, and how Jesus takes and molds a leader. Yes, Paul or Peter was gifted with certain leadership ability that were raw and natural. And over the course of the Gospels and over the course of Peter's life, he received leadership lessons that molded and changed and made him the pillar of the church that we see in First and Second Peter and throughout Acts and throughout the rest of the New Testament. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna outline those six lessons very quickly. We only have a few minutes, but let me give you these lessons. They're one word, and what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you the word. I'm gonna give you how Peter was, demonstrate the lack of that in the Gospels. And then I'm gonna give you how Peter is transformed in his later years, how you see him acting different at the end of his life. So first of all, the first leadership lesson that Peter needed to learn was restraint. Restraint. 
throughout the Gospels, Peter is a man who does not understand or know restraint. If he thinks it, he does it. He's undisciplined. He doesn't even understand moderation. In fact, when Jesus calls Peter, James, and John to go with him up to the Mount of Transfiguration, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is standing there and his body begins to glow and radiate and two other people join, Moses and Elijah. And on that mountainside, Peter, James, and John, they're looking and they're just kind of amazed at what, what is going on. And Peter, instead of keeping his mouth closed, begins to say, hey, John, it's really good that we're here. Hey, this is really exciting. I'm so glad I'm here. I deserve to be here, basically. I, it's just really good. And then he tells Jesus, and you, you gotta know that John's going, shut up, shut up. Enjoy the moment. Be here, watch. Look, Jesus is glowing. This is weird. We're seeing Elijah and most. Just watch, just see what happens. And Peter just keeps talking. No restraint. And then Peter says this, Jesus, you know what we need to do? We need to build temples. Not only one temple, but Jesus, we need to build one for you. We need to build one for Moses and we need to build one for Elijah, right? And Peter is now, and James and John, are, they're all going, Peter, shh. He won't stop until God actually speaks. Can you imagine the lack of restraint? That nobody else is able to stop Peter from talking and it has to be God from the heavens speaking and saying, this is my son, listen to him. That's a lack of restraint, wouldn't you say? A lack of knowing when you should speak, when you shouldn't. And as a strong personality, he thought he had the, reason, the right to speak. Why? Because as a strong personality, he often thought that he was right and everybody else was wrong. Restraint. If you look in the New Testament, as we go further, go all the way to 1 Peter 2 and 21. I'm gonna put it up here on the board for you. Here's what Peter writes at the end of his life. Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile back. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Peter was amazed that Jesus had all this power. He could have called down the angels from heaven. And Jesus, when he was being reviled, when Jesus was being threatened, when Jesus was being lied about, he did not argue back. He did not fight. He actually contained himself. And, Jesus, and Peter here is just saying, but committed himself to him who judges rightly. I don't have to fight. I can actually just let God take care of it all. What restraint. You see it? Next, number two. Peter had to learn restraint. Peter also had to learn submission. <laughs> A strong leader and a strong personality type. They, they rarely have to submit to anybody, right? Why? Because one, they can, they can most likely argue and out-argue anybody else. It doesn't matter if they're right in their argument. They're just louder, more forceful. They enjoy debate. Other personalities don't like debate. And here's Peter. He rarely had to submit to anybody else. Why? Because he could dominate. He always dominated. And whether he was right or wrong, 
He needed to learn submission. So Peter, in trying to learn submission, here's what happens. The disciples were coming into Capernaum. And in coming into Capernaum, there was a man who came forward and talked to Peter and says, does your master pay taxes? And Peter says, yes. This man was not collecting taxes for Rome, but he was collecting taxes for the temple. And now, as again, with any strong personality, when there's a question asked, it doesn't matter if you know the answer or not, you just automatically feel like you have to answer. And not only have to answer, then you, have to, you feel like you have to justify and you have to argue the point. So Peter, yes, Jesus pays tax. And then he starts thinking about it. He goes, wait a minute. Jesus shouldn't have to pay tax. He's, he's the son of God. Wait a minute. Kings don't tax their sons, do they? No. The son gets free tax. They don't have to pay tax because he's the son of the king. And he starts thinking, he gets mad. He's frustrated now. Wait a minute. Jesus, you shouldn't have to pay tax. You don't owe them tax because your daddy is God. He owns the temple. And what does Jesus do? You remember? Jesus says, you're right. I don't have to pay tax. But Peter, I want you to go over and pay the tax. What? Okay, Peter, I want you to go over to the sea. sea. I want you to catch a fish and then catch a fish. When you pull him in, when you open his mouth to get the hook out, guess what you're going to find? Enough money for you to pay your tax and enough money for me to pay my tax. In that very moment, what was Jesus showing? You're right, I don't have to submit to human law. And yet at the same time, he was showing his complete sovereignty over the whole system. And even paying, he says, I can provide with a fish that already has the money. Isn't that amazing? That's Jesus for you. He can do both. Now, did Peter learn the lesson of submission? If you remember just a few years later, There's a major controversy going on in the church. The controversy is this. Peter is at the Jerusalem area. He's he's over that church. And there's a group of conservative Jews that Peter eats with. He eats with them. And then at some times, now because Paul and his ministry are ministering to Gentiles, there's Gentiles also coming into the church. And Peter when the Gentiles come in, he'll eat with them as long as the conservative Jews weren't around. But when the conservative Jews came around, Peter acted like he didn't even know the Gentiles. This frustrates Paul. And he says, wait a minute, you can't live this way. You can't live both ways. And when Paul confronts Peter, how did Paul, Peter respond? Do you remember? He actually says, I'm sorry. And he recants. Did he learn submission? Absolutely. And then later in his book, 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 through 14, look what Peter writes. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Did Peter learn it? Not only did he learn it, he lived it. And then he taught others submission. Let me give you another one, servant leadership. Servant leadership. 
Strong personalities, again, tend to see people as just a means to getting their job done, getting what they want to accomplish. They're task-oriented versus people-oriented. So Peter, he struggled with this whole idea of servant leadership, and leaders should actually be serving others versus leaders getting to tell everybody what to do. Many times, that's why people want to get in leadership. Is, hey, I get to tell everybody else what to do. This is exciting. This is good. I got the power, right? Peter needed to learn servant leadership. And one of the greatest examples was when Jesus in the upper room with his disciples takes off his outer robe, goes over and begins to wash the disciples' feet. He serves as the leader. He had no business really in the human world. He had no business actually bending down and washing their feet. This became a major problem for the disciples. It hit them right at their core. And Peter was so convicted. Later on in 1 Peter 4, here's what he writes. He says, above all things, have a fervent love for one another. That's love at maximum capacity. A fervent love, a love that's stretched to the limits for others. And then he continues in 1 Peter 5, the next chapter over, and he says, to you leaders, you should shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, not what? Domineering over those in charge, but being examples to the flock. Do you see how powerful that is? That is a major change in his leadership, a major change in the way he saw life. Let me give you another one. I have two, three more. I'm gonna do it very quickly. Humility. Again, we already talked about Peter and his arrogance. Pride is often the besetting sin of strong personalities. And Jesus, as his disciples, where they were coming to Jerusalem, Jesus tells his disciples, hey guys, I just want you to know, I'm coming up on the time. I'm about to die. It's going to happen. When I go to Jerusalem, it's going to happen. I am going to die. I'm going to lay down my life. This is what's going to happen. And Peter, with all of his pride and all of his arrogance, what does he do? He steps up and he pulls Jesus aside and he says, Jesus, we need to talk. Jesus, obviously you don't know what's the best for you. Can you imagine? Isn't that beautiful? You don't know. You don't understand, Jesus. Obviously, you need me to help you realize that if you go, you're gonna die. And really, that's not the best plan because you're a leader and you're the leader. So Jesus, we need you around. So Jesus, don't go to Jerusalem. You don't need to die. This is not the best plan. Do you see the arrogance of telling Jesus how to run things? It's kind of fun to watch Peter in this light, isn't it? And what does Jesus do? Do you remember? We're gonna put it up here on the board, but I think we have it. Jesus actually looks to Peter and says, get behind me, who? No other disciple is called Satan. But here's Peter. Peter, right now you are acting as Satan, and Satan's influenced you and Satan's using you. Get away, you are being used by Satan. Can you imagine the humility to be called Satan? Did Peter Mm -hmm. learn humility? 
Let me show you this. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, it says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with what? (laughs) Humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Can you imagine when he was writing, God opposes the proud? What had to come over his mind? I was called Satan at one time because I was opposing and I was standing against. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, humble yourselves. Let God be God. Next, compassion. Again, strong personalities, very, they very seldom actually exude love and care. They, they struggle with showing compassion. Matter of fact, they even show, they struggle to show compassion to those who are weak. Up, oh, you're weak, you lost it, you messed up. Shame on you, boom, you're out of here. You can't stay with me because you can't hang with me. That's what Peter was at at the beginning of his life. And, and right there at the very end, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, we're in the upper room. Be careful, your pride, your arrogance is setting you up. And you are not showing compassion to others. You're missing it because you think you've got it all under control. Get ready because Satan has desired. And matter of fact, Satan's already inquired of me that he could have you and sift you as wheat. That's scary, isn't it? Satan's already asked, and you tonight are gonna deny me. And Peter's saying, there's no way. I would never deny you. All these other disciples, they're weak. They'll deny you, but not me. I'm strong. I will never fall. Oh, and we know just a few hours later, as Jesus is on trial, Peter denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And when the rooster crowed, he was so utterly devastated that he leaves, Jesus is crucified, and where is Peter from here, from that moment on? I'm going fishing, guys. I don't even deserve to be in this company anymore. He was so utterly broken. He didn't feel the right. He didn't feel like he had the chance to ever be back as a disciple. He's gone. He's out of the picture. He's not mad. He's completely destroyed in his own self. I can't believe I did this. He's gone. Peter, Jesus calls to him after he rises again, right? Where's Peter? Why isn't Peter's gone? He's gone fishing. He doesn't feel like he can be a part. Jesus shows up on the seashore. He bakes him some fish. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me more than the fish? You know I do, Jesus. Then he says, okay, I'm restoring you and I wanna bring you back. And watch what happens the rest of his career. Peter, Peter, has compassion for those who have been sifted, pat, compassion for those who have been hurt, compassion for those who have fallen. Watch from 1 Peter, again, chapter five, verse eight. It says, be sober, be minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Don't you know Peter understood that full well? From a guy who thought he would never fall, he has now fallen. He knows that Satan's strong and Satan is a strong adversary. He says, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same, look at this, the same kind of suffering are being what? Experienced by the brotherhood throughout. There's a compassion to him. There's a softer, 
As he has gotten older, as he's gone through life, he has now learned that I need to have compassion on those other people who are going through it and other people who have fallen. And you see Peter now coming alongside. Very last thing is this, courage, courage. Often courage is that fast action, just jump in, no holds bars, just, just jumping in and, and being almost reckless, if you would, not thinking about the consequences. And this is Peter. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the mob comes to take Jesus, and here's a fisherman. He jumps up, and in jumping up, he doesn't have a sword. He has a knife, is what the word is. So Peter, who's a fisherman, not even trained as a soldier, he jumps up, pulls out his little knife. It's not even a sword fighting knife. It's a fish knife. It's a small knife, and here he goes. He's ready to take on the entire mob. That's not courage, that's stupidity. <laughs> right? You can't do anything about that. That's Peter, here he is, he just jumps in. And Jesus rebukes him and he says, hey, you can't cut off somebody's ear like that, that's not nice. Puts up the ear, put, heals the And then we find courage that's redefined. In Acts chapter two, Peter's now been restored. Jesus has now brought him back. And now what you find is that the Holy Spirit comes upon them at the day of Pentecost. And Peter stands and boldly proclaims and boldly preaches. I am a follower of Jesus Christ, the one you crucified. And he begins to preach like he's never preached before. He has a new power, a new zeal, a new courage, knowing that, hey, they crucified Jesus. They might even crucify me. And throughout the rest of the book of Acts, what you find is Peter, who is strong, who's willing to say, you can lock me up, but I must tell of who Jesus is because I've witnessed it, I've seen it. He has a new courage, a new strength that throughout the rest of the New Testament, he now has courage. Yes, he knows he could face death. Yes, he knows he could be punished. Here he is willing to stand, not out of sheer emotion, but calculated this is what I have to do. That's courage. Because this is who God has made me. Peter, the rock. We are told that the end of his life, that his wife is actually put on the cross. And he is forced to watch his wife die on the cross. And he cries out to her, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. And right after, the testimony of Clement says that then they began to take Peter and to put him on the cross. And he says, I can't die this way. Please hang me upside down. And he dies upside down. Never recanting, never denying, but remembering the Lord. Courage in the face of consequences. Here's what I want to end with. Two quick thoughts and we'll be done. Number one, God does use average people. And in God using average people, here's what I want you to hear. No matter where you start, no matter where you start, you can become more like Jesus. Peter is a man full of problems, full of faults. His feet truly are made of clay. But no matter where you start, you can become more like Jesus. He has a testimony of growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
And let's be honest, after 50 years of knowing Jesus Christ, if you still have that temper that you had when you were 20, there's a problem, right? That's not who God created you to be. That's your old flesh. And what Peter demonstrates for us is that through the grace and the power of Jesus Christ, you can grow and you can become more like Jesus. Praise the Lord. That gives us all hope, doesn't it? (laughs) That gives us all hope. Next, number two. Here's the last thing I want to end with. Evaluated experience brings about change. Just because you've had a bad experience or just because you've had an experience does not mean that you've learned from it. Did you catch that? That's so big. Because people want to tell their sob story and they think they've learned something. Just because you've had a bad experience doesn't mean you've learned something. Only when you evaluate it and you begin to put it under the book, when you begin to evaluate, what did God want me to learn through this, in the midst of this, and you actually depended on God in the midst of that experience, did you actually grow to become more like Jesus? So here's what I want to encourage you. Because Peter fell back on the cross and Jesus pulled him along and said, Peter, this is what you need to become. We find Peter actually grows. Your evaluated experience, your experiences, make sure you evaluate them so that you grow and become more like Jesus. 